0: Caregiving is one of the hardest and most humbling experiences for a spouse or a child. It's an experience full of emotionally draining challenges. Join me, Wanda Brandy Purcell, on the Accidental Care Partners podcast as I bring you information and practical tips for caregiving that have been gleaned for more than 20 years working with family care partners and helping professionals. Please join me for the next few minutes. You'll be glad you did. Hey there, welcome to episode 11 of the Accidental Care Partners podcast. I'm your host, Wanda Brady Purcell, and I'm very excited about today's show, which is part one of a two-part series that I'm calling A Day in the Life of a Caregiver. We will be addressing the common issues you face each day as a caregiver. I'm talking specifically about the hard-to-handle issues and behaviors that you confront on a daily basis as you provide care for your loved one. Today, especially, we're going to talk about waking, bathing, dressing, and meal times. So let's get to it. Hey there. I'm so glad you chose to listen in today. I'm your show host, Wanda Brady Purcell, and I will be examining hard-to-handle issues, including some common behaviors that are very challenging to caregivers. As disease processes take their toll on your loved one, especially those diseases that affect mental cognition or thinking, um, you may be challenged by erratic, unsettling, or even bizarre behaviors. Just to give you an idea of the kinds of issues we'll talk about today, I'm thinking of the challenges associated with bathing, dressing and undressing, mealtime, fidgeting behaviors that include all kinds of restlessness, inappropriate sexual behaviors, repetitive actions or questions, and forgetfulness. I'll provide stories and tips, tools, and ideas from other care partners who have been right where you are. I've also consulted with Dr. Anna Galloway, Doctor of Occupational Therapy and Clinical Assistant Professor of OT at the University of Florida, who has graciously provided a broader perspective about these challenges. Let's take a virtual walk through a day in the life of a caregiver and we'll address the issues in the context of your daily life. Let's start with morning wake-up. Do you get your loved one up at the same time each day, or do you wait until she wakes up on her own? Too often, caregivers or professional care partners do not take into account the formal rhythm of their care receiver's life. I've heard patients rant about being roused for bath time at 5.30 in the morning when their preferred rising time was 8 or 9 o'clock. And let's also consider that some of our loved ones prefer to bathe or shower at night. Now, I do realize that the time schedule is a bit tighter in skilled nursing facilities or assisted living facilities. But in the care receivers on home, couldn't the daily schedule better align with their usual routine? You might find less resistance as the day begins. So I want to talk about the issue of bathing. Oh my gosh. I've had so many caregivers talk about their loved one no longer wants to bathe. They're combative, they resist, they get angry, but they still need to be bathed. So how do we approach this massive issue? Well, let's break it down. If you're bathing your care receiver first thing upon waking, how are you setting the stage for your care receiver? Are you making sure the room and the water are warm? not too hot, not too cold? Are you undressing your loved one in the bedroom and then walking them to the bathroom? And if so, is the change in temperature too shocking for their bodies? If you're giving a bed bath, are you ensuring privacy before you embark on the task? This is especially important if the care receiver is now in a hospital bed in a less private area of the home. Even if you don't think they know the difference, do it anyway as an act of respect and to preserve their dignity as humans. Are you completely undressing them or bathing the top half of the body first while keeping the lower body covered and then moving to the lower body while keeping the upper body covered? Have you turned off the ceiling fan or redirected the air vent? You know, even warm air coming out of a vent can feel cold when it's blowing directly on a wet body. What kind of tone are you using as you talk to your loved one during the bathing ritual? Are you using a gentle voice or are you a little more demanding about what you want them to do to help you accomplish the task? I encourage you to start gently washing the face and hands before moving to the trunk or extremities. And I want you to pay attention to what kind of washcloth you're using. Is it soft, like you would use on a baby's skin? Or do you find that maybe it's a little more abrasive? How does what you're using feel on their fragile skin? Maybe you could warm several towels or a cotton blanket in the dryer to use as a cover as you bathe. This way, you can take care to expose only the body part that you're currently cleaning and then move on, but the warm blanket will keep your loved ones more comfortable. If you're putting your care receiver in the shower, how is he positioned? Is he getting in facing the shower head with the water spraying in his face? Or are you putting him in with his back to the shower head? How did he do it when he was in charge of his own shower? Can you do it in that way? Are you coaching him and telling him what's coming next? Or are you simply pushing him into position? Sometimes just explaining what we're doing and what's coming next can be helpful. Now, the same question should be asked and answered when you're considering washing your loved one's hair. Is she facing the shower head or tilting her head back under the spray? Does shampoo run into her eyes or are you shielding her face? Can she remember to hold her breath if the water cascades down her face? Or does she sputter and cough? All of these are clues as to her discomfort or her ability to tolerate the bathing and shampooing rituals. Using a rolled washcloth at the top of her forehead can act as a barrier to the water running over her face. And this works even if it's already wet, you can just squeeze it out and put it back and it will help to sort of staunch the cascade of water. Can your loved one assist you with the personal areas that need cleaning? Are you preparing him or her before you bathe or touch those areas? Bathing is a challenge, and it's often a soaking event for the caregiver. However, I encourage you to remember that you are caring for their physical body because they are no longer able to do it. Put yourself in their place. What would make your bathing experience pleasant? When stepping out of the shower, wouldn't it feel great to be engulfed in a warm towel? Again, you can heat the towels in the dryer, or you can purchase a towel warmer so that those are close at hand In whatever room you do the bathing, there are many options, and I've included a link to some of them in the show notes. Okay, now that the bathing ritual is complete, let's move on through our day. It's time to complete their personal care and get dressed for the day. If you're using lotions to combat dry skin, make sure you warm those in your hands before you put them on their body. It just keeps the body warm and and avoids giving them a chill. You could actually place the lotion bottle in a sink of warm water while you're working on the bath and then it will be warm for the application when you're ready. If your loved one wears adult diapers, here's a trick from Dr. Galloway that you might find helpful. While your loved one is seated, put the diaper behind the knees and pull the front between the legs. Then fasten the tabs to make a pull up. Then stand your care receiver up and pull the diaper up. You can refasten the tabs if it's too loose once you have it in place. This hack will save much time and frustration as you try to get the diaper in place. If possible, allow your loved one to choose her outfit. What clothes is she going to wear? You know, at this point in their lives, so many of their decisions are made for them. We want them to stay as independent as possible. And we want their desires to be known. And this is a very low-risk way of allowing them the opportunity to make their own choice. If they have a hard time making decisions, you could simplify things a little by presenting two equally appropriate outfits. And then allow her or him to make the final selection. That way you know that they're going to be weather appropriate, but then they get the final choice. Dr. Galloway also suggested breakaway pants. I think they're called tearaways. These are actually a great solution especially if your loved one has incontinence of bowel or bladder. And you change constantly because you just unsnap them all the way up the outside seams, lift the top part off, there you go, change your diaper or your depends and then you simply lay the top part of the pants back on them and snap them up. So And they're available at sporting goods stores, but they're also available at Amazon. So I put a, a link there in the show notes for you. Now, back to dressing. Here are a few tips for your consideration. Way back in 1999, when I was in grad school working on my master's degree in social work, I learned that we burn pathways into our brains by the simple repetition of doing. So, if your care receiver has been putting his socks and shoes on in the same way for the past 70 years, there is a way that actually feels right to him. And most importantly, if you are not doing it in that same way, then it feels wrong to him. So, pay attention to their reactions when you say, let's put your socks on. If you're reaching for the right foot, but he is offering the left, Don't push the left out of the way and continue toward the right. Go to the one he is offering, as this is most likely the foot he always begins with. The second part of this is the normal sequence for putting on socks and shoes. Some people like to put socks on as in both socks and then both shoes. Others like to put on one sock and one shoe and then the other side. If you know the magic sequence that your loved one prefers, dressing will be infinitely better. Here's a personal story for you. When I was in graduate school learning about brain plasticity, it was just a few years since my grandfather and his three siblings had all died from complications of Alzheimer's disease. So I was paying close attention to everything I could learn about brain health. And after I learned how easy it is to burn new pathways into my memory, I began a family experiment. My children and I took one week to pay attention to how we actually put our socks and shoes on. Then we spent the next six weeks doing it backwards or by following the non-dominant sequence. For instance, I discovered I always put my right sock and right shoe on and then my left sock and left shoe. So the first round of memory training had me putting on my left sock and left shoe and then my right sock and right shoe. Then we did every combination, each one for six weeks. We did sock, sock, shoe, shoe for the right and the left, and then we did sock, shoe, sock, shoe for the right and the left. We also practiced using our non-dominant hand to brush our teeth, our hair, and to feed ourselves. According to the healthtransformer.co website, this act of burning new neural pathways is known as neurobics. And it takes three to six months in most people, but it can happen earlier in other folks. My children thought I had lost my mind, but I made a game of it because I realized how important it is to have alternate neural pathways, especially in the case of brain injury, such as stroke, or maybe a car accident, or any kind of brain dysfunction related to disease processes, such as any type of dementia. When one pathway is lost to injury or disease, then there's already another pathway burned that the brain will switch over to. So it just makes it easier to rehabilitate if you have multiple pathways to do the same activity of daily life. So the truth of the matter is, if your loved one has only one main pathway burned into their memories, and you are going against that you are likely to have behavioral issues simply because the way you're doing things feels backward or wrong to them. Now, here's another thought about clothing. Choose a style of clothing that suits your loved one's ability to put it on. As we age, we lose mobility in our shoulders. So pay attention to the verbal as well as the nonverbal cues your care receiver offers you when you're dressing them. Putting arms back to slide into sleeves might be painful, or pulling a sweater over the head and pushing the arm up into the sleeve could also be almost impossible. If you find this to be the case, you can always cut the clothing up the middle in the back to make it easier to put on. Then you can either use a Velcro type strip or buttons in the back so that you can keep it closed. You might have to enlist the help of a friend who sews or maybe even a dry cleaner who has a seamstress on staff to help with this, but it would be a way of meeting the dressing challenges. You can also search the online retail market for such items. Remember, the goal is to help your loved one look their best as long as possible and to be able to dress them with ease. Next up on our virtual tour of a day in the life of a caregiver, is mealtime. This can be challenging for caregivers on many levels. Clothes that have just been put on your loved one may be soiled during mealtime, especially if they have challenges with tremors or fine motor skills. My first solution is to put a bib apron on your loved one to catch any spills or drips and put some kind of washable floor covering under or around your loved one. You can use a tablecloth that has sort of the felt backing and just sit it under the chair so that when they sit down, you can spread it out under their feet. That way, any spills will go on that. And then you can shake it out afterwards and throw it in the wash. I would suggest that you have two or three aprons on hand to ensure that you always have a fresh one when you need it. And I would buy aprons that have darker colors or patterns and in a cotton poly blend fabric so that um, it'll wash better and it will remain wrinkle-free. We don't wanna have to do any ironing. Dr. Galloway suggested these tips to help make mealtime easier for both the care receiver and you, the caregiver. Always begin mealtime with a quick wash of your loved one's hands. You can use disinfectant wipes or a soapy washcloth, but it's important to ensure hands are clean prior to eating. Remember to present food that your care receiver likes and present it in a form that they can eat safely. If he is able to load his fork or spoon and take it to his mouth, allow him to do this, even if he spills some on the way to his mouth. If he's not able to load his spoon, then you can load it and then allow him to take it to his mouth. And you can supplement The feeding by maybe every third bite you give to him with your own spoon. That way he's still grasping his utensil, but you're giving him a little more to eat. And don't rush your care receiver during the meal. It may take them a little longer to eat, but that's okay. You don't have to be in a rush about it. You just don't want them to choke and you want them to continue to do as much for themselves as they can for as long as they can. That's all about their dignity. If the time for using utensils has passed, then you can put finger foods on his plate in the appropriate bite-sized pieces and in an appropriate, I guess, thickness for whatever dental condition he has. For instance, if he no longer has teeth, then you may have to provide a softer diet. But once the meal is over, you'll wash your care receiver's hands again to remove any leftover food particles. And again, this is all about good hand hygiene and it will keep your loved one looking good and feeling clean. Here's a word of preparation for you. When your care receiver no longer wants to eat, it is likely in response to the disease process. Especially toward the end of life, food intake trickles to a stop as the body begins the process of shutting down. If you have questions about how much your loved one is eating, if it's enough or if there's something going on to prevent um, their appetite, speak to their physician about it and ask for a consultation with a speech-language pathologist who specializes in feeding disorders, because they can give you a clear understanding of really what is happening with your loved one. We will stop our virtual tour of a day in the life of a caregiver right here, following mealtime. Be sure to check out Part 2 next week, when we will cover many forms of restlessness, ways for you, the caregiver, to get rest in the middle of a busy day. And then we'll discuss how to deal with the care receiver's inappropriate sexual behaviors, repetitious behaviors, forgetfulness, undressing behaviors, And then we'll close out the show by talking about caregiver behaviors. I hope to see you then. If you found the information to be helpful, please share it with others. And check out the show notes for the sources and possible resources related to today's episode. And you can always go to our website, which is the AccidentalCarePartners.com website for additional tips and tools. But if you have questions or comments, please email me at carepartnerspodcast2020 at gmail.com. I'll respond to you as soon as I can. But until next time, always remember, I know that caregiving is hard, so please be kind to yourself. Thanks for listening.